I would like to add my voice to Mark's and the, what he said in the announcements about the community meeting tomorrow night. Uh, you may remember a couple different times we've talked about as a church entering a kind of a visiting process, asking the question, what ministry do we think we should be doing over the next three years that we're currently not doing? So we invited several of the members onto a team and we've met and we looked at the demographics of the county and it's kind of eye-opening, some of the brokenness that's just right around us, right here. And beginning the process of exploring and thinking through what, um, what should we be doing? So it's really a, a question of uh, asking the Lord what his will is, where, where does he want us to head as a church? And uh, so I've encouraged him, let's just dream, let's just dream about this and think about what can we be doing? So as part of the process to, to explore ideas, we created this idea of a community night. So tomorrow night at 6.30 here at the church, we're inviting leaders to come from around the community and to talk to us about their areas of responsibility. So we've asked them to tell us, what is your area of responsibility? What challenges are you facing? And then um, we would like to know, we would like to answer two questions. One is, how might we pray for you? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29 that we should seek the welfare of the city, seek its peace. And those are the cities where he was taking the Israelites as he deported them. So we should care about the welfare of our county, shouldn't we? So we would know, like to know how to pray for them, but also we want to know if we had resources available, how might we come alongside and help them? Are there ways that we can even, be, even have greater impact in the county than we've had uh, prior to this? We have a lot of good impact. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful. So that's tomorrow night at 6.30. If you want to come here, some of the leaders of our, of our region around here, come talk about their areas of responsibility. And then, yes, for those of you that are asking, we do have an, an inquirer's class or new member's class two weeks from today. There's a sign up out there on the welcome table, so feel free to go sign up if that's of interest to you and you want to learn about the church and what does it mean to be a member here. Okay, we're in the, we're in the final Sunday of a series, the story we find ourselves in. John Piper, that's a name that some of you might know, a pastor of a very good church, good man. In his book, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says a very startling thing. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. I agree with that. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Worship is. And here it is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Now, when I use the word worship, we have probably done such a good job of training you that that captures the 25 to 30 minutes when you first walk in until I start teaching. Right? That's how we think of it. Today, I want to broaden that perspective. Everything we do that brings honor to the Lord and glory to the Lord is a form of worship. Everything. So... We're spending time in God's word here. Are we doing this for the glory of the Lord? Are we bringing glory to the Lord by honoring him in his word? That's worship, isn't it? When we collect an offering, are we bringing glory and honor to the Lord? That's worship. When we serve communion and we celebrate together as a family, as a congregation, do we, do we bring honor and glory to the Lord? That's a form of worship. So we're going to go through and look at this final Sunday, kind of wrap up. We began our story by saying we are worshipers of the one true living God. And we're going to come full circle and conclude with, and we are people, it's up on the screen, who praise and pray. And then try to connect the dots to how this is related to worship. So the ultimate pur uh, to God's mission, the ultimate purpose of the church is to glorify God 
by worshiping him and enjoying him forever. And I would argue that uh, that's what we are created for. We are most happy when we are doing this. We are created to bask in his love, to bring honor and glory to him, to enjoy him. That's what we're made for. And so we are most happy and we're accomplishing our goal when we are doing that. Therefore, our mission is ultimately about the worship and glory of this one true living God. And the reason why John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't, because there's a lot of people that don't know this one true God. If every person was worshiping God, we would have no more need for missions. That's what the new creation looks like. And we'll get there in a minute. We're all worshiping God, and there's no more need for missions. So missions exist because worship doesn't. So now let's qualify this mission just a little bit. Let's nuance it and think about it. They remember in the beginning, I raised the question, if you're on an airplane and somebody asks you, they look and see you reading the Bible, and I say, well, hey, what's that book about? Um, it's hard to answer the question, isn't it? There's things in here that are wonderful, that bring us joy. There's things in there that frustrate us or, or we can't make sense of. It's very confusing. Some of the values are very different in the ancient world. There's things in there that sometimes make us angry. Why would this happen? Why would God allow that? So it's a very broad, it's a very uh, encompassing book about the history of God. So the way I answer the question is this book is the story of the one true living God who uh, interacts with his creation in such a way that all of his creation will worship him alone as God. Every story in this book is about that. God interacting with our world in such a way that we turn to him in worship and honor and glory. So let's bring up the whole concept of worship. Worship is the goal of mission. Worship is the goal of mission. When we are worshiping in all aspects of our life, then we, have, we are doing the very thing that God wanted us to do and created us for. The mission of God is his love, which seeks the ultimate well-being and the blessing of us by bringing us into a relationship with himself. That's what his mission is, bringing us into a relationship with God. Thus, we love, we worship, we glorify him. Those are the things that we do. We are to be agents of this redemptive love. Remember we talked about uh, we are redeemed so that we can be redemptive with others. We can share what God has done. We have seen his works. We have felt his presence. We have enjoyed the, the worship of his presence. And so we are to be agents of this love. Tell others. This isn't new. I realize that. I know we've talked about this. But obeying Christ is not a burden. It's not a chore. That's not how it should be thought of. Rather, it's a reflection of our deep love. You think about the people you love the most. You love to do what brings them honor. Right? You love to do the things that bring them joy and pleasure. Well, that's no different than God. So all of these things that we're trying to wrestle with, how do we live our lives? This shouldn't be a chore. It's just the opposite. It should be a deep reflection, deep reflection of our love for him. In John 14, Christ is uh, right at the very end of his life, and he's talking to the disciples and kind of giving them the final words. And he tells them about this Holy Spirit that's coming. He's going to send a comforter to be with us. We won't be alone. Never are we alone. And in the middle of that passage, in 1421, he says, uh, whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. 
we show our love by our obedience. We show that it's really important to us by our obedience. But then he goes on and says, and whoever loves me, i.e. whoever keeps my commands, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. So for those of you that are on that journey to know the Lord in a more deeper way, obedience is the pathway. We love, we obey because we love him, and that's how we express our great love. Sometimes I think we get it backwards when we look at uh, behaviors and sinfulness and brokenness, and it, it's, it, it is common sometimes for us to critique and judge people based on their lifestyle and their behavior. It is important, but I th I'm wondering if we've got it wrong. Maybe the purpose of us understanding each other's brokenness is not as a means of judgment or critique, but as a means of assessing how close they are to the Lord. I mean, you know what it's like for some of you in your good marriages, as you grow stronger and stronger, you do things that bring pleasure and joy to one another, right? As we move closer to the Lord, as we mature, as we approach Him throughout life, then our desire becomes stronger and stronger to do what's right. And the process of redemption is a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process whereby one area of hurt gets healed after another. An area of brokenness, one after another, slowly gets restored. So when people are struggling deeply with brokenness, they're perhaps far away from what we conceive of as a Christian. That's just, that's just a revealing to me that they're far away from the Lord. The best thing I can do is walk with them to move them closer. Because as they move closer to the Lord, their behavior will change. That's just the way God made us. So obeying Christ is not a chore. It's just the opposite. It's the means of joy, deep joy, deep satisfaction when we do what he asks us to do. So we should see evangelism, which is a command, by the way. We should see evangelism not as something that we are imposing on others. Not as something that we are imposing on others. It's interesting. Um, I travel to India and Nepal every year, as you know, and... Um, I've had people along the way ask me, why would you want to go and try to change a culture, uh, people that have such a peaceful religion? My challenge has been the same for all these years. Why don't you come with me? I'll pay your way. Come with me and see what I see. There's nothing peaceful about any other religion. They may talk about peace, but the type of peace that we're created for, that shalom, where we rest internally, where God brings light he brings his presence. He brings that deep abiding joy. That type of peace, that doesn't exist anywhere except in Christianity. So come with me and see, and you'll understand. I'm not trying to change a peaceful religion. I'm trying to introduce true peace with people. So we should see evangelism not as something that we are imposing on others, but as the best thing that we could possibly ever do for them to introduce them to this God who loves them so passionately that he will do whatever it takes, pay whatever cost has to be paid to demonstrate that love, to win them over. Wouldn't it be great if our friends and neighbors who don't yet know Christ understood that? This God that we serve, this is not a God of wrathful vengeance and justice. It's not a God of rules and regulations. This is a God who has done everything he can to bless them and love them. And that's the story of this book from beginning to end. That is the story we find ourselves in. This is how Paul saw his own mission. 
If you want to in your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. This is how Paul saw his own mission and that of Jesus. And I would argue this is the core message of Romans. Romans is a fantastic book. It, um, it's, it's a book that reveals God's righteousness. That's the opening words in chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. But what is this righteousness? It's a righteousness that's rooted deeply in love. It's a compassionate God who, who pays a tremendous price, sacrifice for us because he loves us that much. And the book of Romans is the story of that. It's, it's, a, it's a sustained treaty for 16 chapters, an argument. Um, it's written to the church at Rome who, where he had never been. And so he's using pretty, some pretty fine and technical language all the way through the book to explain this one idea, that, uh, God's mission, how much he loves this world, how much he cares about it. Just permeates the book all the way through and through. And in part of that journey of demonstrating his love for us, he has to reveal our own sinfulness and why we need God. And that's done in the book as well. So now we're at the end of Romans. By the way, Paul's epistles generally follow a pattern. The first half, first 50%, are he's explaining something about God. And the second half, the second 50%, he um, tells us what to do about it. How do we live life based on this knowledge? Romans is a little different. He goes 11 chapters, almost three-fourths of the book, before he starts to tell us how to live life. So it's very important for Paul to lay out for us this whole concept of who God is and how much he loves this world and why he came. So we're going to jump ahead to the end of the book in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 8. I'll start in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Hear the worship language? Right? Accept one another in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews. I love that language. He has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. We know what those promises are, don't we? That all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. And this is what he says. And, there, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's language of worship, isn't it? bringing glory to the Lord for his mercy. This is worship. As it is written, and then he quotes along, he quotes five Old Testament passages to, to make his point. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Deuteronomy 32. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Psalm 117. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope, Isaiah 11. Now you see why all throughout this series, I keep bringing us back into the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is where God laid all this groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. And Paul uses all these Old Testament passages to argue this. So Jesus' mission was to fulfill the Abrahamic promise and bring the Gentiles to the point that they would glorify God. So he says, verse 9, the Gentiles might glorify God. I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Rejoice, you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Do you see all this? Do you hear all this worship imagery? This language just permeates. It's dripping with worship. We bring glory to the Lord. We praise him. We extol him. We honor him. We exalt him. That's worship language. This is what we are about. 
And that's how Paul saw his ministry. But then he goes on in verse 15. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Here he lays out his reason for writing. I'm writing this so that you are reminded of what God is about. What God is about is interacting with his creation and bringing all the nations to worship him alone as God. That's what he's about. And that's why he wrote this book. Romans is a fantastic book. It just lays it out from beginning to end. It's a foundational book for Christianity. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. And remember that imagery of the priest? That a priest always serves to mediate on behalf of someone else. So I bring someone into a relationship with God. That's mediation. We are a kingdom of priests, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9. We're a kingdom of priests. That's our job. So the priests serve two primary functions, to bring a person into the relationship with God and help them, and then to turn around and bless them. So Paul says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. It's another term of worship. He says later on, we are an offering acceptable to God. That's us right here. This is language of worship. Acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul saw his own ministry as a fulfillment of the priesthood to reach the Gentiles. Then over in chapter 16, the last paragraph of chapter 16, the end of the book, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Think about that. The mystery hidden from eternity past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to faith and obedience. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you, do you, can you feel that language of worship just permeating all this, these texts? So I just read three texts out of chapter 15 and 16. And it's just dripping with worship. It's dripping with us honoring the Lord for what he's done, for saving us, for caring about us, for, for not forgetting about us, remembering his covenant, remember his promise. Okay? Worship is about mission. Now think of the song that we sang. Sing with me. Sing with me and all will see how great is our God. That's the purpose of worship. Sing with me and all will see how great is our God. In Revelation, turn over to Revelation, last book of the Bible. This, he gives us the ultimate picture of the renewed creation. And it's one of incredible worship and glorifying God. Revelation chapter 5. So we're going to just sample passages through this so you can see as we get closer and closer to the eternal state, we're, we're shouting with praise. We're so excited. We're so just joyful at what the Lord has done. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, 
To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. All of creation is worshiping God. Here it is. All of creation. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Where do we get the Palm Sunday? It's going to be a fun Sunday. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They cried out in this loud voice. So here, not only all of creation, but all the nations are present. Every tribe, every language, every people, every, uh, every nation is present, praising God and worshiping Him. Turn to Revelation chapter 15. We're picturing here those who have been victorious over the beast when he comes. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, verse 2, chapter 15, verse 2. I, looked what I, I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image, over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. See why I keep taking you back into the Old Testament? The Old Testament is so rich with the image of God's love. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. So here we have the victorious, those who survived. They're praising God. They're worshiping God. Turn to Revelation 19. And here we have this great multitude in Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting. They're now shouting this out. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. This is worship imagery. This is what worship is all about. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. That's us. Fine linen and bright and clean were given to her to wear. So we have this great multitude worshiping God. And then finally, look in chapter 21. Chapter 21. Let me say a word about imagery here, about the language that he uses. The city is pictured as an ancient city. It's a walled city with gates. At nighttime, they would close the gates so they could sleep comfortably, peacefully, with security. So they closed the gates. That was to keep um, robbers, marauding armies out. And the fact that he's going to talk about the gates being open talks about how peaceful these people are. They are at rest. They have nothing to fear. It talks about the coming and the going. It's an image that because the gates are open, we have the freedom of access in and out of the city. And here's what he says. I did not see a temple in the city, verse 22, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor, their splendor into it. So the, we're apparently we're bringing gifts in still, things that we've done. God made us for that. We've talked about that, right? He made us for work. So we get to continue this process and bring it to the Lord as a means of worship. 
On no, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. That's that imagery of a, of a city that's at rest. They're peaceful. Access is there. We can come and go. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, for, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the nations are pictured as bringing their splendor, their glory, their honor into this new Jerusalem, all for the glory of God. All the nations. This is the final two chapters in the book. So where have we come in this story? We've come from creation to new creation. And what do we have here at the end? All the nations are present, worshiping God. It's wonderful. But, but, I argue that worship is a goal of missions, but I want to add something to it. Um, it's not enough to see that worship is the ultimate goal of mission. We need to understand that worship at its core is a means of fulfilling that mission. Now ponder that with me. At its core, worship is the means of fulfilling that mission. We fulfill the mission of God by worshiping. Now think of the language again that we just sang. Sing to me, sing to me how great is our God and all will see how great is our God. Our singing is designed to bring people to the Lord. Our worship in our very lives, our ascribing glory and honor to Him is designed to bring people to Him. So worship is a core means of fulfilling this mission. We are created to worship God as creator. We are redeemed to declare the praises of God our Redeemer. All of this is to be done in the midst of the nations who do not yet know God. This is the world we live in. This is what we're created for. We want the world to look at us and see joy. We want the world to scrutinize us and test us and see that our faith is real. And it's okay if they see us fail because you'll know what they'll find if they watch. We, we pick ourselves back up and get back to honoring the Lord, don't we? That's why confession and repentance is so important. It's okay to say I'm wrong because we all are. It's okay to say, you know what, I blew it. I wish I hadn't done that. It's okay to say I made a mistake. I wish I hadn't hurt that person. Because if we are authentic and we not try to hide it, that itself is an act of worship because we believe in this one true God and it's okay for us to admit that. That's part of what worship is all about. Now turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is one of the uh, missional songs of the Bible. It's fabulous. We're not going to read the whole psalm, <clears throat> but we are going to read just a little bit. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So what are we supposed to be singing about? You'll notice verse 1, Lord is in all caps. Sing to this one true living God that we believe in. A new song. Sing to the Lord, this one true living God, all the earth. We're to sing to the Lord, praise His name. So we sing about His name. His name is important. Yahweh, I am. That's His name. I am all that you need me to be. Think about the uh, Jesus' words at um, 
as part of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Baptizing them, we're to go to the nations, baptizing them in the name. Say it with me, name. Name singular of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's a reference to the Trinity. The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, God has bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow and worship. Everyone. So we're to sing about his name. We're to proclaim his salvation day after day. His salvation. God remembered us. He rescued us. He has given us eternal life. He has blessed us. He loves us. Declare his glory among the nations. We're to sing about his glory, how wonderful he is. This is all language of worship, isn't it? We are to sing about his marvelous deeds among all peoples. We're to tell everyone about his marvelous deeds. Everyone. God is good. He could be trusted. He rescued us. He remembered us. And then all the way throughout the praise, all the way throughout the psalm, verse 3, verse 7, verse 10, verse 13, he talks about this being done among all the peoples, all the nations. Look at the concluding verse, verse 13. Let all of creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth, but he will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Yes, he will judge, but he will be very fair. That's what we're to proclaim. We're to sing and worship this. So the message is that worship is a witness to the nations. This is why we worship. We worship as a witness to each other and to the nations. Someday when we're in the New Jerusalem, we will no longer have to worry about uh, the unsaved. And so we'll be proclaiming his praises to one another. It's a wonderful thing. Let me say a brief word about prayer. Prayer is put alongside of praise. It's one of those, I talked about glorifying the Lord, extolling Him, exalting Him, honoring Him. Prayer is another one of those areas of worship. I'm going to read you a verse out of Deuteronomy. Fantastic verse. Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says, um, uh, um, verse 5, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land when you are entering to take possession of it. These are the commands. Remember I said commands shouldn't be a chore. Don't think of them that way. Think of them as a way of our expressing our deep love to this one true God. Observe them carefully, these commands, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What nation, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray? And what other nation is so great to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of law? When we obey the law and when we pray, God comes near and the nations see it. Prayer is just as much a part of worship and witness and testimony to this broken world is anything else that we do. Anything else that we do. Abraham engaged in intercessory prayer for Sodom, Genesis 18. Solomon engaged in intercessory prayer for all the nations in 1 Kings 8 when he dedicated the temple. Jeremiah ex exhorted the Jews uh, who were being deported into foreign lands because they had disobeyed. Pray for the peace, the shalom of the city wherever you end up. 
with your enemies. Christ takes us further on. He exhorts us to pray for our enemies. Matthew 6. Who were their enemies at that time? Rome. They're an occupied country. Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed, models this very missional idea. He prays for the coming of the kingdom. We know what that is. That's God's reign over all the nations. He prays for that. He also prays for the will of God to be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven. What is his will? What is his desire? That all of creation worship him alone as God. So Jesus is praying, I know what that mission is. I know what that will. Make it happen on the earth, just like it happens in heaven. So we find in heaven, it's Revelation. All the creatures in heaven are just singing and praising and enjoying it. We are to forgive our debtors. What a way to access, to provide access for people to this wonderful truth and to forgive them. Jesus commands his disciples in Matthew 9 to pray for new workers because the harvest is ready, it's ripe. Send out workers, pray for workers. So is God interested in the way we praise and pray? Absolutely he is. Absolutely. I'm going to read you one more passage to conclude this uh, series. Deuteronomy 4, 32. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. He goes back to creation. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? No. That's how fantastic our story is. Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have heard and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that this one true God is God. Besides him, there is no other. Does God care about how we praise and pray? Yeah, absolutely he does. So when we worship together as a church, let's remember at the very core of what we're doing, we're participating in the mission of God. When you're in your homes and you stop and pray before your meal, remember, you're glorifying the Lord. That's worship. When you go about your jobs and you're, uh, maybe you're out in your job, maybe you're in high school, maybe you're at home with the kids and you're doing something that seems like drudgery, remember, when you bring glory to him, you're participating in the mission of God. When we have conflict in our church and we resolve it and we restore unity, we just worshiped God. All those are acts of worship. So where have we come? Here's what we did. We talked about we are worshipers of the one true living God. We are caretakers of creation. We are thankful for this. We are a blessing to the nations. We are to be redemptive with others because we've been redeemed. We're to help others, in other words. We are to represent God to the world. Ephesians 3, to God be the glory in the church. We are witnesses to the living God. Even though we are deaf and blind, we are still his witnesses. We proclaim the gospel of Christ. We are believers who work and live in Summit County. And we are people who praise and pray. 
So we've moved from creation to new creation. This is the story that we find ourselves in. This is our story. It's our story. God created it for us. We're part of it. Your friends and neighbors don't even know it yet, but God desires for them to be a part of the story as well. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if our friends, our neighbors, people that we know who haven't yet embraced Jesus could find themselves in a story as rich as this? Is there any better story in the world? In the world? There's not, is there? Let me pray. Father, thank you for creating such a wonderful story for us, for bringing us into it, and even giving us active roles to play, worshiping you, caring for creation, being redemptive with others, uh, worshiping and praising you so that others will come to know you. Please, Lord, I pray that you continue to use us in Summit County to have great impact, great impact for, uh, what, with what you have done, to tell others about your deep and incredible love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.